0: The Knight, shrouded in black atop a lone pillar, lights his candle and reaches for a book. Fearless in battle, fearless in literature, he takes in all the wonders of the world, right there in one spot. In the same way and without hesitation, we dissect and decipher classic and modern texts in a fun, insightful and easily accessible manner. Join me, the night Reader, as we travel through these wonderful, sometimes obscure worlds in a podcast meant for people of all ages and levels of reading. So why do we read books? Why do we tell stories? How do we understand and perceive literature and storytelling? You know, these are questions I ask myself as I'm reading these old stories. And that's something I want to talk about in this podcast. My name is Dylan. I'm the Night Reader. This is my first episode. It's the introductory episode. Um, I just want to let you know... You know what this podcast is about and what i'm about and what you can expect to hear um so what is this podcast basically it's a way for me to express my love of reading to hopefully share it and inspire with some of you guys um, share it with some of you guys and maybe inspire somebody out there um and i just want to tackle sometimes difficult texts in like a really approachable, exciting way, have fun, read it, and like I said, most importantly, inspire. I'd love to provide perspective and discuss in an identif- identifiable way um, these works of art that sometimes elude us in this modern age, not only by deciphering the language, but also interpreting references and illusions that might get past us if we don't really pay attention. I want to look at and figure out in simple terms the themes and ideas of these books, why they were written, what was in the writer's hearts while they wrote this, or at least what can we guess of it. And finally, in discussing, I'll be reading excerpts and telling the story through my own perception of it, and we can make our way through the story together, whether you have the book or not, whether you've read said book, uh, if you follow this podcast, you'll be able to get a grasp on the entire story that we're reading at the time, as well as hear extensive descriptions and insights into that fictional world and how it connects to us in our daily lives. I'll also be doing um, sound bites in every episode for every chapter. Uh, With music and voice acting and stuff like that. And so, with all the preliminaries out of the way, I'll let you know the book we'll be diving directly into in this first episode. You might have seen it in the title already. It's none other than the timeless classic Herman Melville's Moby Dick or the Whale. Now, please don't let that title scare you away. You may have had to read Moby Dick in high school or in college might have had to write an essay on it or something and you just hated it or you know maybe you tried to read it and it was just really difficult on you maybe you got through it but you didn't quite grasp everything which is very common it happens to me on my first read throughs all the time now this book is a classic for many reasons it is not only a fantastic story but stands out amongst others of the same era, as highly intellectual and full of different ideas and perspectives. With so many ways it could be understood, it stands out in legend due to its smart use of references, deeply melancholy tones, and a very poetic language. Basically, no matter how outdated you think this book might be, How it might be hard to make connections to somebody who lived over 150 years ago and writes in old English. I'll tell you right now, you will relate to this story and find illusions and ideas that are very modern, as well as issues and outlooks on life and lessons that still hold true today. I'll tell you just a little bit about the author before we start to read. Herman Melville. It's almost unbelievable that one man could possess such a large amount of worldly knowledge. To be so in touch with human nature, it truly astounds me. He invites the reader, tests the knowledge of the reader, and seems to have some sort of deep understanding of the human heart. With so many ideas and mind paths, he still leaves the reader to decide amongst all of his perceptions. I'll give you my take and I'll also leave these questions for you to answer in your own perception. In the time of writing this novel, he was already known as a writer of sea adventures. He was about 30 years old, had mild success as a writer already, and he became excited by the idea idea for his newest book, one based on his personal adventures on the sea and using romanticism. Which is, in short, a way of emotional writing, very poetic, and using personal events to provoke true emotion in the readers. So he began to write his novel, which he referred to as a romance of the sea and of whaling, something that had never been done before. There had been books about whales in the past, but not written in the style of romanticism. He wrote publicly at the time that he believed one day Shakespeare would be matched rivaled possibly even surpassed his words were quote, there are minds that have gone as far as Shakespeare into the universe if Shakespeare has not been equaled, give the world time and he is sure to be surpassed in one hemisphere or the other end quote like I said before almost challenging himself and his readers and the world with these words He sets out to finish the manuscript that would become Moby Dick. As we read further into the book, I'll tell more of Herman Melville, his purpose and the ambitions of his great mind. Even in the opening chapters, we will see some of the methods Herman put to use to illustrate how well-rounded his knowledge is. He's knowledgeable about many religions, many societies throughout history. And he's able to connect these in very smart ways to his writing that is referred to as typology. Now typology is something we'll talk more about as we come to it, as we come to those parts in the book. You could look up a definition yourself if you wanted to and get some examples. So now we'll get to the beginning of the story, the storytelling and discussing it. Um, You could feel free to follow along loosely if you have your own copy. I encourage you to go grab one, you know, at your local bookshop or buy the ebook. Uh, it is not necessary, though, that you have the book or have ever even read it. All you need truly is an open mind and open ears. The first chapter introduces us to the first main character of the novel. Right on its opening page, the opening line, the famous, call me Ishmael. Now what we first learn of him is basically he's depressed and very uh, suicidal even. He talks about walking past churches and graveyards and just being lost in thought, depressive thoughts. So he's feeling really messed up on land and what he does whenever this happens to cure that is go sailing. He's used to being on merchant boats but in this story we'll see that he's going to try something new and go on a whale boat, a whaling boat, excuse me. So, so far we know these things of Ishmael. He is an adult man, one who knows himself well, losing his lust for life and searching for meaning, ready to do a bit of soul searching. He even goes on to reference Cato, a prominent figure in ancient Rome, who was involved with politics, military and philosophy. Cato killed himself with a blade in his stomach. Ishmael states that instead of that, he, quote, quietly takes to the ship. Now although the beginning language is dark, there's an optimistic tone in those first few pages, you know. So at this point, he tells us he is not the only one around here that feels this way. He's off the coast of Massachusetts on an island called Nantucket. It's kind of a nautical hub of the Western world. He goes on to describe the magical way man is attracted to water and always finds it. He jokes and says he sees so many inlanders making their way towards the water. And he says, have the green fields gone? What happened to the desk jobs, and everyone who was clinched to their counters? It's almost as if these people are all drawn by the magnetic needle of a compass. That as humans we have a supernatural, instinctive attraction to water, to the sea. He emphasizes the great calling of the ocean, and asks us to wonder why the sea is held to such mysticism in so many different historical societies and religions. And if you think about that, it's, it's very true, you know? Uh, Greek has gods of the sea. Um, the Egyptians had, you know, stories and folklore about the sea and the oceans. Um, every religion has some kind of spiritual connection to the ocean. So that's what he's kind of referencing to. He also wants to let it be known that he's not going on these boats uh, simply as a passenger, but as a sailor. Passengers need money in their purse. Passengers get seasick. No, he's not a passenger. He's a sailor. Now, he says some people might have issues going out on the ocean as a sailor, especially someone who might come from like a higher society. As you're sure to be yelled at, pushed around, and worked like a dog, basically. But Ishmael does not mind this. He believes in karma, what goes around comes around, or as he refers to it, the universal thump. He's preferred to be paid than to pay, obviously. He believes that paying is the most uncomfortable infliction the orchard thieves entailed upon us. When he says orchard thieves, obviously he's talking about Adam and Eve, another reference to the Bible. He then begins describing and romanticizing about travel and the mysterious creature, the whale and how he loves exploration remoteness. And when he imagines a whaling voyage, the wanderlust in his soul opens up as if a floodgate and those waters push and pull him, swaying him to his purpose. He imagines floating in the rivers of his soul, swimming in endless lines. Whales, two by two, with one great shadowed shape amongst them all. How foreboding that passage is. And that wraps up the first chapter called Loomings. That last passage eludes to something much darker that follows. Now, when we look at what we've read, we see a man devoid of purpose, but with some driving force in him. He thirsts for adventure and a way of curing his fears and depressive thoughts. He's very self-aware. He's very perceptive. He knows his place and he knows his worth. Although he's down on his luck and he just doesn't identify with landsmen. He can't imagine how someone would want to spend their whole life on land. He's not bitter towards them. it just doesn't identify. So when we look at the picture Herman's painted for us we see a cold Saturday night in December on the island of Nantucket the 1800s. Our main character Ishmael knows he has a few days before all these boats leave port and so he sets out to try to find a place to stay. Years ago, no mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It's getting dark now. I'd ought to find a place to stay. Ishmael is walking the streets of New Bedford. It's getting darker and colder by the moment. He knows he needs a place to sleep for the next few days and something to eat. He only has a few pieces of silver in his pocket though. So he tells himself, wherever I do decide to stay, it better not be too expensive and I shouldn't be too particular about it. He sees a couple places as he's crossing these streets, one called the crossed harpoon, where he decides it's too expensive for him just by the look of it. He sees another place. Now this place is just shining bright red like there's a party going on inside. It's called the Swordfish Inn. He thinks maybe I can stay there, but quickly decides no. Now there's like a big bright party in there, It looks really jolly. It's just emanating with this bright light that's almost melting the snow around the building. But as he strikes his foot on a ledge hidden in the snow, he sees his boots, all the patchwork on them. He tells himself, I can't go in there looking like this, basically. He tries a few more places, but no luck almost all is dark out here and nobody walking the streets but what is that dim low-hanging light near the docks a quiet rundown building sits still in the night a sign painted white with the image of a spout of a whale the words underneath it read the spouter in peter coffin and how the sign swung with a poverty-stricken creek to it ishmael tells us the name is very telling the spouting of a whale? A coffin? What ominous signs of death wait within this place? Now we get some interesting insights and the illusions here. With Herman's tricky wording, he describes the dynamic between indoors, being indoors and outdoors in a storm. To illustrate this, he references two characters from the Bible, Lazarus, a poor man who is saved, and Dives. A wealthy man who is damned. Now we can stop for a moment and admire Herman's poetry here as he wonderfully depicts this example. We can also take a deeper look at what he's trying to get us to understand. How pleasant a strong breeze from a storm is when you are inside the window, looking out from comfort and warmth with the frost on the outside. And how terrible that same breeze when your window has no glass pane What beautiful sky, how the stars in cold space shine from inside looking through our telescopes, but how the poor man wishes only to warm his hands by these bright stars, how he would go down to the fiery depths just to keep out the frost, and how the poor man lays his head on the curb outside of the rich man's home. So... The passage where he says these things, is just it's really well written. It's it's awesome. Uh, I I highly recommend you read it. Um, It's the end of the chapter, the carpet bag, only the second chapter. But um, he's just really trying to get us to understand that dynamic, you know, how different it is being inside and outside. And he uses a lot of different um, examples in this and in writing this two page long description, Um he's really showing us, like I mentioned before, how well-rounded his knowledge is um and how he could just pick and choose these different societies and different feelings and just so wonderfully just meld them together so we can understand what he's trying to get us to understand. Um It's there's really nothing else like it. Um and these first few chapters of the book are really just it's like soul food. It's like literature soul food. It's like mom's home cooking. It's just... It's just delicious. It's it's, it's so good to read and um, so informative on just uh, the character that we're going to be getting into. It's such a great way to start out the book and uh, really show us how to read the book. You know, how he's going to be presenting this story um, in a very intellectual way. <clears throat> Excuse me. In a very intellectual way that um, it's not always easy to come by the first time you read it, but it's well worth deciphering these texts. Well worth it. We're about 30 pages in, just two chapters. Um, The beginning chapters of the story are very short chapters that kind of introduce us to some of the characters and set us up for our adventure throughout these first two chapters we've seen examples of typology where herman um, connects what we're talking about to any kind of society historical society um, or spiritual type of thing um religious type of thing so that really tests your knowledge on what you know you know if you never read the bible before you're not going to get a lot of his references um and this was really big at the time he wrote it because um typology was something that people often used because in that that time in society um almost everybody had read the bible or would read parts of the bible was familiar with it to some extent um so it was a lot easier to get his references across so you know i, I will help you make these i'll help us uh <clears throat> i'll do my best to make these connections for us and describe them in a. Uh, the simplest way possible as well as when he goes into his really descriptive um, sometimes hard to understand descriptions and tellings of things Um, we'll dissect all of that as well and uh, figure out what he's he's talking about you know Um, because sometimes it's kind of difficult to kind of see what he wants us to understand Um, that being said he ends the chapter by saying quote But no more of this blubbering now. We are going a-whaling, and there's plenty of that yet to come. Let us scrape the ice from our frosted feet and see what sort of place this spouter might be. End quote. So he recognizes that he's kind of been stalling and describing things like that, and says, you know, let's get the story moving. Let's scrape the ice from our feet. There'll be plenty of blubber (laughs) ahead, you know, with all the whales will be talking about and hunting and whatnot like that so he ends the chapter like that and we are introduced to well the inside of the spouter in in our next chapter what's this the spouter Inn, Peter coffin coffin spouter rather ominous in that particular connection thought I Never mind that, though. I've got to get out of this weather. That is going to conclude the storytelling for today. Most of what we read is self explanatory. But in the beginning of this cast, I proposed a question. Why do we read? Why do we tell stories? Well, the answers of these questions are ever changing, and I'm always searching for them. They very much depend on the reader, the time the book was written, and how it was written. I believe we write and tell stories to gain a deeper knowledge of ourselves and the world that surrounds us. I believe we read to gain insight and to learn more about ourselves. A well-told story can sway minds, change outlooks. Reading can be therapeutic, informative. It lets you look at the world through someone else's eyes and put yourself in that character's shoes. What did Herman Melville want us to feel while we were reading this? Well, he most definitely wants us to place ourselves in Ishmael's shoes. That can be difficult to do with the societal and historical gap between now and then. But if we do, we find ourselves in a world where knowledge truly is power. And finding out how to slip your mind into a time where there was no pop culture, no news, nothing of that sort, is of utmost importance. Times change, but these moments are held forever in history. As if in stone slabs, these words ring true in their permanence. Pick up these books, fight through them with all of your will. Or when you emerge, you are sure to find something changed inside of you. Something that only you could reflect upon by being in the shoes of another. It is very intriguing to bridge that gap in your mind. I hope that you will all pick up this story and follow along with me. If not, please come back and check out the next few chapters. We'll be introduced to an awesome new character, uh, one of my favorites by the name of Quee uh, in a couple of hilariously descriptive scenes. I do apologize for any redundance or digression, any flaws in the recording, such as page flipping and whatnot. I would love feedback from you all. What would you like to hear more of? More direct quotes, sound bites, music, more backstory or descriptions, or simply more reading. What would make my material more interesting to you personally? Please let me know, good or bad. I really appreciate any feedback. I'm trying to make this cast the best it can be. Uh, This podcast was written and produced by Dylan C. Thank you all for listening, and I will return next week. So go on, flip your pages, drop your sword, pick up your pens and reading spectacles. Let us read on.